Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are some times in life where we have to make a decision, a determination, where we have to be particularly discerning about how to act and what to say and what to think about a certain situation. One such situation in my life has to do with uh, a dear high school friend of mine. I'll call him Jim for the sake of this sermon. That's not his name. Jim and I were buddies in the high school. Actually met in middle school and we were in band together and hung out together and spent nights playing Mario Kart on Nintendo 64 together, hanging out. And as life happened, Jim went one way, college, into the military, uh, is off there in the military. I went uh, another way to college and seminary and out here to Colorado to serve as pastor. And, and life has taken us somewhat different directions. Now, throughout that time, there have been uh, times that we have, Jim and I, gotten together. I got to perform the marriage ceremony for him and his wife. It was exciting. It was beautiful. It was a great day to be part of. Got to see each other at class reunions a few years ago. We celebrated our 20th high school reunion. But what became very clear at that moment, when we were back in Ohio for our reunion, it's just how far life has taken us in different directions. Here's what I mean. Uh, my friend Jim and his wife, they got divorced. And as I talked with him and spent time with him and, learned, and heard from him, recognized he's different than when we were in high school. He, you might be able to say, is your typical sailor, going from port to port and from woman to woman, unfaithful to his wife and no remorse. And what I come to learn through that time is that his wife had become a believer is now ex-wife, someone who has, has learned about the grace of God, has had faith, come to have faith in Jesus, who is devoting her life and the life of her, her daughters to following him, and yet he remained unfaithful and unwilling to, to reconcile. And I recognized in that moment I needed to have some discernment. First of all, <laughs> I had to have discernment with my, with my friend. He was making some really poor choices that were hurting his wife and his kids. They made me sick, to be honest. And I couldn't just laugh when he talked about his flings. I couldn't 
give him a a, a high five and and act like it, it was cool or something to be celebrated. I I needed to say, you know, that's that's not how I see the world. That's not how I see relationships. And also during this time, his his ex wife she reached out to me because I was a Christian. I was a pastor. And she was looking for ways to go. And, and I, even in that moment, I had to be discerning. I love the fact that she's coming to Jesus and she, she loves him. But I also have to be discerning about the fact that I am a married man. And is this my role? How, how much can I get involved in this conversation, in this relationship? And it's, it's my friend. Like It's just weird to like get in between this whole thing. It's required discernment on my part. And I, and I think you all can identify with some situations in your life maybe uh, uh, that require discernment, right? Maybe there was a, a, a particular relationship that you're thinking of as I was sharing. Like, yeah, that one required discernment. How, how invested should I be in that relationship what are my boundaries? So, something else that we have to be discerning about as parents are sleepovers. At least that's what my wife and I talk about. What are our stances on sleepovers? Letting our kids go sleep over at their friend's house. How old is old enough? Do we know these parents? Do we trust these parents? What are the, the family rules on, on things like devices, screens in the home? All these things, it requires discernment, and it's not super easy to navigate because we don't want to upset our kids. We don't want to make it awkward between us and other parents, and yet we have to have healthy boundaries, protect our children. We have to be discerning. Another one that parents in our county are, are wrestling through right now is, is school. As you may know, public schools are teaching some things that are, uh, well, I, I would say not even really questionable, just not from God's word. <laughs> and we have to discern as parents, well, where does, what does this mean for, for us as we care for our children as we want them to be taught uh, and follow the, the Word of God. There's not a whole lot of options up here in Summit County. And in the midst of this, there are, there are some that are trying hard to get some Christian schools up and, and happening, but even that requires discernment on the part of parents. Is this actually going to work? There's been other Christian schools attempted in Summit County, and they kind of fizzled out. Is, is this, this is going to be a financial expense. They put the name Christian on it, but what does, that, what does that mean? What's their doctrine? What do they teach and confess? We have to be discerning through this whole situation. A few more examples, and it's not just... Uh, public life or secular world, even in the church. How many watched the Chiefs win the Super Bowl last week? 
right? Okay. You may have noticed that during the Super Bowls, uh, you know, what, what is everyone really focused on during the Super Bowl? Commercials, right? Yeah, there you go. And there were two commercials in particular from uh, a campaign called He Gets Us. Commercials about Jesus. And even those commercials require us to be a little bit discerning. On the one hand, we love Jesus because he loved us first, right? He's our Savior. He's our Lord. Um, but those, those commercials came under a little bit of criticism. Two ends of the spectrum that I heard. One is, you know, don't preach at me. Or qu- quickly with that one was, um, look how much money they spent on these commercials. Couldn't that have been used to get, be given to the poor? Which, total aside here, but <laughs> kind of sounds to me like the woman pouring oil on Jesus' feet and the disciples saying that same thing. So we need to be discerning, right? We'll wrestle with this. It's not easy. The other is the, these commercials from the He Gets Us campaign, and I think they're really well done uh, production value-wise, and and I even like their messages, but they, they are very intentional. They show Jesus as an example. They're, they're more focused on Jesus and his humanity than getting to the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus is, is Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, that he's the Son of God. What do we do with that? We need to be discerning. Another example from church. This week... How many, has anyone else heard about what's happening at Asbury University in Kentucky? Yeah, we see a few hands there. Um, Asbury University is a Christian university affiliated with the Methodist Church in Kentucky. And this past week, about a week and a half ago, they had a, had a chapel service. And that chapel service just never stopped. They kept going, like a week and a half in, and, and they're still going. There's, there's people there. They're, they're hearing the word of God. They're praying. They're confessing their sins. There are people saying, this is a full-blown revival at Asbury University. But then the critics can also come in quickly and say, and, and I'll just say, Lutherans are really good at this. <laughs> We're good at criticizing other denominations. We're good at criticizing our own denomination. We're really quick to say, eh, is that really a revival? Or is that just emotionalism? Are they just getting caught up in the whole thing? Is that really, what's happening with those people? Are they just drunk? Hmm, where does that sound familiar? Anyways, so we need to be discerning. We don't want to be critical. We don't want to be gullible. We want to be discerning. Last example, I talked to a friend this past week, friends, fellow church workers, good friends of mine, live in Texas, and they uh, shared with me this past week that for the first time in their marriage, they've been married for about 12 years now, for the first time in their marriage, they are church shopping. 
or what they refer to as church looking. You can just tell, like, they don't even like the idea that we have to be looking for a church, but some things happened at their, their previous congregation that made them have to discern the next step. Where are you calling us, God? Maybe, maybe you are someone, hopefully no one here, everyone here is really happy at Christ Lutheran Church and doesn't want to shop anywhere. But if someone's watching online, uh, you want to be discerning as you are church shopping. Right? On the one hand, we don't want to be naive in life. We don't want to be gullible. But at the same time, we don't want to be hypercritical and have a critical spirit. We want to be discerning. Today, we're spending time going through the book of Matthew and during what is referred to in the church as the season epiphany, we're looking at the epiphanies that, that Matthew records in his gospel. Now, a little bit of background here. Epiphany, it kind of means like a, an appearing or revealing, right? That light bulb moment where, in particular, when we're talking about God and Scripture, we're talking about those moments where, where God shows up and, and manifests his self, his glory, in ways that are supernatural, miraculous. And that his epiphany, his manifestation, it requires a response from those who observed it. What's going on? What do we say? And so in this season of epiphany, it's the time of year from Christmas to Lent, this, we, we've seen things like um, storms stilled, Jesus walking on water, uh, people healed that were formerly lame. We've seen miracles happen. And during, as we see all these epiphanies, we see different responses. People saying, what kind of man is this? That even the window waves obey him. People saying, truly, this is the Son of God. People saying things like, Jesus is Messiah, is the Christ. Today, Last Sunday in Epiphany, we're looking at another one of those appearings, revealings of our Lord Jesus. But today's text has a little different flavor than what we've seen previously. Today's text takes us right to the foot of the cross, right to Calvary. And it's at this moment, it's Good Friday, Jesus has been arrested the night before, drugged for the high priest. Now, Friday morning, the Jewish leaders, religious leaders take Jesus before Pontius Pilate, the governor, and Pilate because he's the governor, who does he have working for him? He has soldiers that are helping him. And these soldiers are, are taking Jesus and beating him by Pilate's orders. They're mocking him. 
putting a crown of thorns on Jesus' head, putting a, a purple robe on him and mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Jesus is silent this whole time. They, they then give him a reed to hold, like his scepter, like he's a king, and then they take that very reed and use it to beat him over the head. Then as they go from the governor's palace to Mount Calvary, they drag him along when he can't carry his cross. They recruit Simon of Cyrene, a gentleman, to to carry his cross for our Lord Jesus. They make their way up Calvary. The soldiers pound the nails into Jesus' hands as he's crucified on the cross. He's hanging there. (laughs) They're keeping watch over him. I don't know where he was going. He was nailed to the cross, but they're watching over him, the centurion and the soldiers. And as they do so, they've taken his clothes off of him, and now they're casting lots for who gets to keep his clothing. And then... Middle of the day, noon, it goes from bright and sunny to dark. The power of God starts to become evident. The weight of that darkness is weighing on Jesus and on the people watching Jesus die. He's on the cross, cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Gives out one last loud shout, which wouldn't have happened normally in the case of crucifixion, and he dies. At that point, not only is it dark, but there's an earthquake, the rocks split, the, the temple curtain, we're told, is torn from top to bottom, the dead are raised to life. There are things that are happening in that moment, in that moment of darkness, in that moment of sadness, in that moment of pain, in that moment where our Lord Jesus is bearing the sins of the world and the centurion and his soldiers, they witness it. These men are familiar with death. Roman centurion, he's worked his ways up the ranks in the Roman army so that he is now over a hundred men. They are regularly probably taking people to crucifixion. They are probably battle-hardened, and yet something about what just happened strikes them as different. To the point that the centurion and his soldiers, at the moment of seeing Christ's death and everything that's happening around them, these very men who were the ones that were inflicting pain on Jesus, who are mocking Jesus, who are, who are making fun of him, who are gambling for his clothes, these men cry out, truly, 
This was the Son of God. They had their epiphany. And they responded. And we say with them, yes and amen. This Jesus, we know. This is the Jesus who we proclaimed in the creed not long ago. This is the Jesus who was present in the, the uh, bread and wine a moment ago. This is the Jesus who comes to us through his word. This is the Jesus who speaks into our life. This is the Jesus who has the power over creation, has the power over death. This is the Jesus we worship and praise. And as I was studying this text, one thing came out. There's some question about the Romans' confession of faith. When the centurion proclaims, truly this is the Son of God, what does he mean? We, we have to be discerning a little bit. We want to know this. Was the Roman soldier, the centurion and the other soldiers, were they saved? Were they believers in Jesus? Now, this is hard. Because we don't have, after this, this verse, we don't have anything about the centurion or the soldiers specifically in Scripture. We also know this, that Roman culture was what's referred to as being polytheistic, meaning they worshipped many gods. They even considered Caesar, their emperor, a son of God. And so, is that all that they mean, that Jesus was like Caesar? Or do they mean something more? Do they mean what we fully understand as, as Christians, that he is the son of the triune God, Father in heaven, the Father Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What, what do we do with this? How do we discern this? I think we... We need to recognize, like, when we're looking at people, when we're looking at life, when, we rec when we, we're looking at th these sorts of situations, we don't want to be naive and gullible. We don't want to be legalistic and critical. We want to be discerning. So what do we do as Christians? How do we discern this? Well, I, I would say this. We discern by disciple. Here's what I mean. When Jesus called his followers back in Matthew 4, Matthew chapter 9, when he talked about discipleship in Matthew chapter 16, Come follow me. So disciples are people who, who follow Jesus. Sometimes that's a, that's a church word. Sometimes we can get a little intimidated by church words. All it means, disciple means learner, follower. Uh, another church word that we use is, 
catechumen, where we talk about catechesis. That's just classes, learning, discipleship, right? So Jesus calls his followers to be disciples, to be learners. And what does he do? Three days later, and then 40 days later before his ascension, he keeps discipling his followers. He spends 40 days teaching them from the Old Testament about how he was the Christ, as if three years wasn't enough, apparently, I guess. And then he says this in Matthew 28, right before his ascension, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all the things I have commanded you. And truly, I will be with you always till the end of the age. Jesus calls disciples, and then Jesus calls his disciples to make disciples. We, as, as disciples of Christ, uh, I, 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 we we're both followers of Jesus and leaders of others who are following Jesus, right? I, I like this image that I've heard before, that we as followers of Christ are, are sheep from the front and shepherds from behind, So we look like sheep as we're following Jesus, and we look like shepherds as we're discipling others. This could take place in in lots of ways. This could be our children. This could be someone we met at work, someone who is in church that we're friends with. Discipleship takes these forms. So what's the the answer to to being faithful and discerning, not being critical, but not being gullible? It's discipling. Here's what I think, and this is completely, Larry, this is not Scripture, so take it for what it's worth. Here's what I think happened with the centurion and the soldiers. After the resurrection, the apostle John who was at the foot of the cross also, heard the confession from the centurion, from these soldiers, went to them and said, you know that guy that you proclaimed was the Son of God? Let me tell you something. He is the Son of God. Now he's conquered death. Can I tell you more about Jesus? That's my guess based on what Jesus has given God, or Jesus and John and instructed him with. And so, it's worth taking some time, as we're looking to be discerning disciples, uh, to think through, what, is that, what does that look like? A few things I want to, to list out about discernment. Four things in particular. First, discernment is informed by God's Word. God's Word consists of His law, His rules, His commands, thou shalt not, but also 
God's word consists of his gospel, long gospel. This is the distinction that we as Lutheran Christians are very adamant about making. God's word is rightly divided into law and gospel. And the gospel says this, that your sins are forgiven. That God has poured out his grace upon you through Jesus Christ. And so we always have to, as we're trying to discern a situation in our life, We have to be informed by God's word. God's word is not going to speak directly to every single situation in your life. But God's word certainly can inform everything that you do in life. So discernment is informed by God's word. It's guided by prayer. We get to talk to the one who is in authority over everything. The one who already knows He hears us. We get to share with him, share with our heart, share our feelings, share our thoughts, share our concerns, and he is with us as we do so. So discernment is informed by God's word, guided by prayer, preceded by humility. I think this one's really, really important. It's okay sometimes to say, I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know right now. I need to spend some time in God's word and in prayer. Maybe it's, I don't know ever until Jesus returns. Like, what's the centuri- what was the centurion's faith in Jesus and what did that look like? I don't know those details. Jesus does. And it's okay for us to step back and say, it's not my role to really make that discernment or judgment call. But Jesus knows. He knows your hearts. He knows my heart. He knows the hearts of others. And so we can be humble and say, okay, it's all right for me to sit this one out. Kind of in line with this is sometimes it, it... It just takes time to discern. So it's okay for us to say, I don't know. I need to spend some time in prayer and in God's word on this. Oftentimes we ourselves and our world wants instant answers. We want decisive decisions. And I get it. There are times when we have to make decisive decisions. Probably less, though, than we than we want to uh, admit or we realize. It's okay to take some time. Jesus is outside of time. He created time. He doesn't care if something takes us five seconds or five years to decide. He's with us the whole way. As long as we're wrestling with him and, and, and in his word and consulting him, it's okay. We can be humble. Lastly, discernment is an act of love. This was the one that I, I think is important for us to keep in mind as we're guarding against a critical spirit. Because sometimes, man, you hear about a revival at a Christian college, and I, I just question our people's posts on social media flowing out of love. Maybe not. 
Some of them, yeah, but some of them are just super critical. And we can, we can talk about it being an act of love for others. How is this helping other people in their faith life, in their, in their discernment as disciples, and in our love for God? Are we, are we giving God the glory in the midst of this? Or are we just look, trying to look super smart? Jesus empowers us to be discerning disciples and to make disciples. And so when, when we're in these situations, where we're trying to navigate through school and relationships and even church shopping, what does the Lord do? He, he calls us be discerning disciples. And as we encounter our friends who are wrestling with things as well, what do we get to do in that moment? Disciple them. We take our friends to God's word. We pray for them. We talk with them and help them think, what's the most humble and loving thing that can be done in this moment? move forward into this world and think about think of it this way if christians aren't on the one hand just gullible going to believe everything and on the other hand aren't hypercritical condemning everyone that isn't uh, perfectly in line with whatever theology or thoughts that this person has i think i think this is something that the world can look at and say, these men and these women are discerning disciples of Jesus. They're thoughtful about how they follow God and his word, and they're thoughtful about how they love me and others. That makes a difference. Amen? Amen.